we always welcomed her into our homes. I mean, how lucky were we that we were alive at the same time as Betty White when you look at the universe, right? I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fine. Today, television producer and distributor Darren Wadico shares his story of working with beloved animal advocate Betty White and the quest to recover episodes of her show, The Pet Set. Betty White was notable for so many qualities. Talent, wit, hard work, toughness, longevity, and just being downright adorable are all on the list, but that would just be a start. Throughout her life, Betty leveraged those gifts to advocate for animal welfare. While it is not uncommon for the subject of a Dog Words episode to be a dog lover, it seems particularly appropriate that Betty is featured today. While our dear Peach's Delight was still with us when this interview was recorded, this is the first episode to be posted since her passing. She shared many of Betty's qualities, including being an advocate. She was Rosie Fun's first ambassador, and she filled the role with beauty, grace, dignity, and charm. Again, she was a lot like Betty White. So while our celebration of the life of Peaches and the joy she brought to us and countless others is tempered by the profound loss that we feel, there is some comfort in the thought that she'll be sharing the next chapter with a kindred spirit. I know Betty and Peaches have already found each other. The somber opening notwithstanding, I promise that this episode of Dog Words is as fun, enlightening, and hopeful as any we've ever posted. My thanks to Darren Wadico for helping to make that happen. His story, and Betty's, unfolds in just a moment. But first, if you're new to Dog Words, in each episode we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We save each other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us. And they already do a lot. Thank you to everyone who nominated Dog Words as Best Local Podcast in the City Life category of Kansas City Magazine's The Best of KC 22. I'll let you know if we make the cut as one of the five finalists on the next episode of Dog Words. We'll also announce it on Rosie Fund's social media. Voting opens up May 16th. You'll be able to vote once a day until June 10th. Please help Dog Words reach that top spot. You can support Rosie Fund by making a donation on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or buying note cards and shirts on barkyours.com. Links are in the description. Your donations and purchases help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs, like Rosie and Peaches, have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. Any donation amount is greatly appreciated, but here are some popular levels. $30 provides a collar and leash for a Rosie Life Starter Kit dog, and $100 covers their entire kit. You can also support Rosie Fund by downloading, subscribing, rating, and most importantly, sharing dog words. Follow us on social media, including the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel that offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and shelter dogs looking for their forever home. Even if you aren't looking for a dog, watching and sharing the videos helps give these dogs much-needed exposure. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions, especially if you have an idea for a topic or guest. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. A reminder that any Betty's Brew purchase, including the For the Love of Betty gift pack, doubles your gift to Hugo Coffee Roasters Partner of the Week while honoring the memory of Betty White. All purchases at Hugo Coffee Roasters support animal welfare groups. Shopping links are in the description, as well as a link to our interview with Hugo Coffee Roasters founder, Claudia McMullen. Next time on Dog Words, we return to the Iditarod with rookie volunteer veterinarian and friend of Peaches, Dr. Molly Ebinger. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. 
We thank you for joining our mission. Joining us today on Dog Words from Los Angeles is television producer and distributor Darren Wadico. Darren, welcome to Dog Words. Thank you, Philip. I'm so glad to be here. I appreciate it. I first saw your name when my wife and I were watching a box set of the pet set, Betty White's <laughs> short-lived, unfortunately short-lived, television series from 1971, 72. I wouldn't say I'm a uh, Betty White fanatic, but I feel like I know a lot of Betty White stuff. I've known about her since I grew up watching Mary Tyler Moore show and all the game shows that she was on. And then certainly Golden Girls, on and on. I had never heard of this until my wife stumbled across the box set and said, let's check this out. And it's phenomenal. It's like, where has this been all our lives? Turns out it just came out within the last year or so that it's been in archives all this time. But fortunately, you were on the ball and brought it back to public consciousness. Tell us that story, Darren. First of all, how did you get connected with Betty White, and then how did we re-find the pet set? Absolutely, no. All, all great questions, and I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. It is a fun show. It's also available for streaming. We can talk about that later. But yeah, the box set, the DVDs, you know, a little old school, but we love it. We had to put it out on DVD. So I had the pleasure of meeting Betty back in 2014. Her agent is a dear friend of mine, and, uh, and we work together on various projects. And um, he called me one day along with the packaging agent over at uh, APA and said, look, Betty's going to be on hiatus from hot in Cleveland, and she wants to do something with animals. What do you got? And God <laughs> forbid she just said, take time off. Yeah, right? Oh, no, no, no. The lady does not take time off, that's for sure. And, um, and I was working at a network at the time called GAC, which was a, a, a little sister station to uh, the Scripps portfolio. So HGTV, Food Network, Travel Channel, et cetera, et cetera. So GAC was a smaller channel and more of a broader channel than, say, the niche channels that I just named off. So I was running some programming over there at the time. I was an executive there. And uh, and when they said, look, what, you know, what do you got? Do you want to do something with Betty? I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> absolutely who doesn't want to do something with Betty? So I literally ran upstairs to my bosses and said, this is what we're doing. We're doing two half hour specials with Betty White. It's all about animals. I named it on the spot. I called it Betty White's smartest animals in America. And literally I'm pitching it on the fly to my bosses. And I told my bosses, look, the one caveat is we need to go back and visit Coco the gorilla who is one of Betty's dear, dear friends. Now, if you know anything about Coco, you know that Coco is a gorilla that communicates through sign language. And Betty has uh, visited Coco many times, and she wanted to go and visit Coco again. So that was sort of the anchor moment of the entire hour-long, two-half-hour specials. And what was really fun about that is we decided we were going to go around all over California. And as you can imagine, traveling with Betty White, for a week or so all over California had to have been the highlight of my career. I did just, it really, really was highlight of anybody's career. I would imagine. Even if you weren't Um, working on a project. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And, and it felt like we weren't, it did not feel like work. It felt like what you just said, like getting to spend a week with Betty and going and seeing animals. And one of the things we wanted to do, Philip was to make sure that it wasn't a show about just ooing and awing animals, 
what we did is we went and we put certain animals to the test to really solve once and for all the mystery. Is this particular animal really that smart? And one of the fun things we did is we found that, yes, pigs are as smart as we all think they are. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, they're one of the only animals, Philip, that can look in a mirror and understand that concept, meaning they know they're in a mirror and we put them through this maze where they use the mirror to see behind them to know, oh, this is the next turn I need to make. It was truly fascinating. But, you know, really, that's how I met Betty. And ever since then, I was blessed to be in what I call the Betty camp, if you will. And so there's just so much more there. And then that, of course, takes us to the next level of pet set. <laughs> so a couple things real quick. First of all, on uh, pigs and self-awareness, I'm going to link in the description to an interview we did a while back with an animal behaviorist who was doing research on self-awareness with animals and right and the mirror tests and things. So if, if that fascinates you, you can go down that rabbit hole with our delightful interview, if I must say so myself. But also, <laughs> the pet set was weekly for a year from 71 through 72. So there's like Correct. 39, 40 episodes. But there's other shows that didn't even have that kind of run that just show up continuously in syndication. So even though it's 30, 40, 50 years old, people know about it. I don't think anybody knew about the pet set. Correct. Correct. No, the pet set, uh, as you say, uh, was 39 episodes to be exact. And she had everyone on it. Uh, You know, basically the concept of the show was it was an animal talk show Mm -hmm. and when Betty and her beloved husband started their production company called Albets Enterprises, Al for Alan, Bets for Bet, of course, Albets Enterprises, that was the show that Betty wanted to do. When Alan came to her, and this is in her books too, but when Alan came to her and said, hey, you know, what's the show that you would want to launch Albets with? This was it, the pet set. And she decided what it was going to be is um, she was going to have all her favorite, you know, her best friends on. Everybody from Mary Tyler Moore to Carol Burnett to Lauren Green to Peter Marshall from the Hollywood Squares, Shirley Jones, Barbara Eden. Oh, my gosh, I could go on and on. Michael Landon. Well, it um, could have gone a couple ways and, and kind of gone south. It could have been so she just has all her friends on. And they just talk inside baseball and that the the pet (laughs) stuff doesn't work. Or it could be a bunch of celebrity guests that she does not have a genuine connection with. And then it's just canned conversation and the forced jokes and stuff. But right away in the first episode, you can see this is really about the pets. And this celebrity guest really has this pet and loves it. And Betty is really their friend. Yes. Oh, my. Yes. Often you'd wonder, okay, who's she closer to, the celebrity friend or the celebrity friend's animal? Mm -hmm. And that's what made it so charming. You know, and there was everything from dogs to cats. But, you know, what also made the show interesting is near the second half of each half hour episode, a gentleman by the name of Ralph Helper who is still with us. I had uh, lunch with him not too long ago. He's 90 years old now. He was the gentleman who brought on, as you know from having seen the show, he'd bring on the exotics, the lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And believe me, he brought them all. And it was just such a great way to learn not only about domestic pets, but to also learn about exotic animals because the idea and the concept there is 
not only are we learning and, and getting some takeaway, but these are not household animals. And Betty was very firm about that, mentioned it in just about every episode. These are wild animals. We can appreciate them and love them, but leave it to the experts like Ralph. And Ralph had a branch in Soledad Canyon, just outside of Los Angeles. And he was the guy back in those days who trained all the movie animals, you know, everything from the Mercury car cougar, you know, to training animals for the, the famous show Doctari or training animals for Tarzan movies. And the list goes on and on. And so Ralph and Betty became long dear friends and, and Betty would go up to the ranch and, uh, and uh, with her friends, Carol and Doris Day. And, well, and that's a fascinating footnote that Carol Burnett knew Helfer when they were that's kids. Right. Yes. Isn't it funny how things come around completely 360? Yes. Ralph and, and Carol grew up in the same apartment complex as children and they used to play Tarzan together and their careers would always continue at the same pace and to have that, you know, reuniting moment where Ralph and Carol were on the show together on Betty's show like, was really, really just yeah, a sweet moment. Yeah, I'll see sure. you in 20 years on Betty White's show. We'll catch <laughs> yeah. up. <laughs> Although I do suspect they probably saw each other in between for sure. It, it certainly sounded like sets. it from the discussion that it wasn't like, oh, yeah. Ralph. It's, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> that's Ralph. Right. I, I saw him last yes, week. Exactly. Dinner. Oh, that's my old buddy, Ralph. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so just a, several wonderful moments between Ralph and the celebrity guests like Carol. And, you know, and as I say, Doris Day was on the show. Just all real true animal lovers. I like to say Betty loved her two-legged friends as much as she loved her four-legged friends. Uh, probably in reverse, loved her four-legged friends more. <laughs> they obviously enjoyed her company, and because the lead guest is a fellow entertainer, they're used to being on stage or on camera. There was one guest, however, who seemed to be trying too hard. Do you oh, know who I'm talking about? Let me think about that for a second. Wow. You really came on to something. I'm going to think. I'm just kind of going through the list in my head. Because there's some who you think, oh, th this might not work in this format, like, you know, Vincent Price. Vincent Price knocks it out of the park. Beautiful. Awesome. Beautiful. Yes. I have to say, you're probably thinking of Artie Johnson. Artie Johnson. He's always on. You know what I mean? He Great was, guest, but always on. He was what you would expect Artie Johnson to be. And you don't know, is this what Artie Johnson is like? at home in a bathrobe with a scotch. Um, but so, yeah, he, he, he was on. And there were a few who you could tell, okay, I'm on because I know I'm on camera, and so I'm going to be as much of a celebrity entertainer as I can. Right. And we're very natural with it. For instance, bubbly Doris Day. You oh, get the feeling yes. that would be Doris Day if you were next to her on a flight. Yes. She would be exactly right. the same, the bubbly. <laughs> the person yes. who I thought... It wasn't just that they were on. They seemed to be trying a little too hard. It was Michael Landon. Uh, oh, yes, with the elephant and the bop, bop, bop. You know, he was doing those little bits. Yeah, and, yeah he kept, right. kept, it was like he kept trying to work in a bit. Always. And it's so funny when you think of Michael Landon, you don't think of him the way you do Artie, which he's full of bits. You mm -hmm. think Michael Landon. You're not expecting other... bits from Michael Landon. Very good point. Very perceptive. <laughs> I forgot about that, but you're right. I remember... In the many times I've seen all the shows putting it together, I thought, wow, if he just brought it back just a, a bit, mm -hmm. he would be the Michael we all know and love. That's and I wondered if, and you say the Michael we all know and love, this is not uh, 
Oh, what was where he's the angel? TV oh, show. yes. Um, Highway to Heaven. Yeah. This was not Highway to Heaven where I'm the producer, showrunner, star of this show with a message, adult, confident Michael Landon, or even star and producer of Little House on the Prairie. This is, I'm the youngest brother from Bonanza, and I kind of have to show that's not me. You know, I'm, I'm more than that. Look how talented and funny and, and yes. clever and funny I am. <laughs> Obviously, Lauren Green, when he was on, Lauren Green had nothing to prove. Right. Jordan nothing Burt to, Reynolds. Yeah. yeah. You know. Nothing to prove. Yeah. I'm the biggest box office star in the world. I'm I'm Burt. I'll just be Burt. Michael Landon seemed <laughs> like I've got a little something and, to prove. Yes. No, that's really interesting that you caught on to that. You're absolutely right. He was trying very hard and doing, you know, shtick and moments and bits and yeah. you know yeah. and, and it uh, wasn't cringy really or uncomfortable it, it was just yeah. okay this is a little different dynamic than what it's <laughs> been with the other guests yes yes but nonetheless still such a great guest because oh, yeah. he loves animals and and uh and those moments with the elephant you could tell he was really enjoying it and then of course they did that panel piece where they had uh, mm-hmm. almost like a dog you know dog show if you will mm-hmm. competition the show and it was like he was trying very hard, you know, to get those zingers out, you mm-hmm. know, those moments of funny. You know, you're you're right. You, I was thinking you were going to say Artie, Artie Johnson, but you're right, Michael Landon. But yeah, yes, you're, you're right. Artie was kind of doing his bits, but yeah, that's that, Yeah, you'd get that if he was on the Mike Douglas or Merv Griffin or wherever. Yeah. You'd be disappointed if he wasn't. Yeah, on. Right. Yes. Like, who is this? <laughs> it's, it's, do we need to do an intervention? Is there something wrong with Artie? We would be worried about him. We'd be worried, right, if he came in all mellow. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. (laughs) Wow, you really picked up on that. That's amazing. I love it. I was going to say, Artie Johnson, I didn't know his wife was German. Yes, yes, which makes the whole character changes everything about him constantly doing the German soldier bits. Right, right. No, exactly. You know, really, like he probably actually speaks German. Yeah, he probably does, actually. Yeah. Yeah, you thought say. it was just a Sid yeah, Caesar so- thing. You know, I can fake any. It's like, no, he's probably really speaking German. <laughs> you know, one of the other guests that really stood out to me was Mary Tyler Moore. And what I loved about the timing of Mary Tyler Moore being on the pet set is a year or less, I'd have to go and do my math, after Mary appeared on the pet set. Now, Mary, of course, and her husband, Grant Tinker, mm-hmm. and Betty's husband, they were all very close friends. But a year or less after Mary appeared on the pet set, Betty went to the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. So I often wondered in my own sort of fantasy brain, right? Like, was that the moment, right? Like, they always were friends. But did they bond so much that it was like, have Betty, you know? And Betty, I believe, was a replacement for Cloris Leachman, that we, we have this dynamic that is going to be gone. Right, and, right. And, and who could yes. possibly, uh, Cloris Leachman, such a huge talent, right. how do we possibly fill? And that was probably top of mind for, for Mary that, well, wait a minute. Yes. Betty. And Betty, to that point, had not been the troublemaker, yes. mischievous. Like she would get into, in the other shows she had been in previously, she would get into a bind, a situation, but it wasn't because right. of the Sue Ann Nivens sort of 
character. Yes, yes right. So that, right. that was, was new. new. For, so for someone to see that in Betty, because it's pretty much a parody of Betty White, the Sue Ann Nivens oh, character. Absolutely. Like over the top with a really sexy sort of driven edge. Mm-hmm. And, and as the story goes, the producers of the Mary Tyler Moore show were talking and saying, we just need an icky sweet version of Betty. Icky, of course, being the very overtly sexual mm-hmm. part. But but Sue was still very sweet yeah, in yeah, many ways. Yeah. But obviously and, not and, Betty and White. Said, but yeah, but couldn't do Betty White. Yeah. And I think it was Mary who said, "Well, why not just Betty?" Yeah. And then it, and then the rest is history. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to think, to some degree, maybe the pet set had something to do with that. that. that wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> do you know how many episodes they would shoot in a day? Were they just cranking you know, them I, out like they do with like uh, a game show where we're going to do two a day for a week and get these? In yeah, the you know with. Great question with animals. Obviously, there's a lot of prep and a lot of work that goes into that. Um, I don't believe they ever shot more than one in a day, but I do know that they shot two in a week. So what's interesting is you'll see some of the episodes and Betty will have other guests on that maybe not are not as big, right, to, mm-hmm. to supplement. You know, in addition to Carol or Mary Tyler mm-hmm. Moore, she would have somebody who is a, 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 either an author about books or somebody, uh, you know, who has some sort of work in the animal world. And you'll notice that oftentimes that guest will show up twice. They'll mm-hmm. fly them in from New York. They'll show up in two episodes. And that's because they shot those two particular episodes back to back in the same week. That was um, my, my assumption. I work yeah. in media as well. And I thought, so you know, yeah, this guy was flown in from New York and we're going to get our money's worth. For that first class airfare. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's exactly what happened. True. Very true. Yep. When you're watching the pet set, pretty much after every episode, my wife Dawn and I would IMDB the lead guest. Yes. Yes. And just Learn get more. a refresher that on, yeah, that person was huge at that time. Yes. And sort of at the, the peak of their powers and how many of them were still with us was also yes. surprising. And a few that yes. weren't were also surprising. Yeah. Of the yeah. younger ones, Michael Landon was one that obviously everyone knew he had passed, but there are right. a few others that uh, it, it was surprising that they weren't with us. And a few were surprising that we're fortunate that they are still with us. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and, and while I was working on the project, we also lost people during that period before I could even get the show out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Burt Reynolds being one of them, just a sad time when he passed because he was such a great part of the pet set. And I forget what year he died. But like I said, from, from start to finish, from finding the tapes and researching the tapes to finishing it was a period of several years. And so Burt died during that period. And, and, and I was very sad because we were losing members of the pet set, if you mm-hmm. will, at the time in which I was cranking to get it out. But, you know, they all got older, but their legacies will live on, you yeah. know, for sure. Well, yeah, you when know, you're working on the like 50th this. anniversary of a show, that's to be yeah. expected. But, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. That that's yeah. going to happen. Such but, great guests. But it's, it's fortunate that some are still with us and did get to see that, because I'm sure they were as thrilled to see it as Betty was. Oh, yeah. 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 Shirley's still with us. Barbara Eden's still with us. God, I'm drawing a blank, but there are a handful more. There are a handful more that are still with us. Mm -hmm. You bet. Yeah. That's nice. I also love the ending of every show where she would take a famous quote, Mm -hmm. and it was usually about animals. And of course, 
there were more that were more philosophical and there were some that were just lighter and more fun. And, and the one that always stands out for me at the end of the show, when she said, um, uh, Charlie Brown was right. Happiness is a warm puppy. And I just, oh, it just makes me, you know, gives me goosebumps. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those quotes are always fun because sometimes they're on the nose for that episode. And yeah. sometimes they're just this higher level philosophical perspective on humanity and yes and makes you think for a moment mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely which is again more insight into brain power of betty white and alan ludden yes yes right to to say hey we're going to end every show with a quote that's going to make people think about like you said humanity and animals and, and just so many things it's uh this, yeah, it's really fantastic. Yeah, this fun show where we pretend that we have a club of pet lovers, animal lovers. Yes. Yeah. And that this is a yes. meeting of the pet set, which is the conceit of the show. I guess we we didn't even address that. The conceit of the show yes. was it's there's this club and we're having a meeting. And the member yeah. who we're featuring today, the special member of the pet set, <laughs> That's is, right. and that was yes. the conceit of the show. Yeah, every episode ended with meeting adjourned. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Meeting adjourned. <laughs> Yeah, it really was. It really was sweet. You're right. Thank you for pointing that out. That was the conceit of the show. Mm -hmm. This is a meeting. My friends are coming over. We're going to get real serious and talk about animals, but we're going to have a lot of fun yeah, too. We have a topic for this meeting and it is, yes, you know, German yes, shepherds. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> That's right. German shepherds and elephants. Uh, yeah, right? We're going to have totally. a uh, llama or a elephant Yes, there was also a water buffalo. And and then Ralph Helfer brought on Zamba the lion, mm -hmm. and he brought on a tiger and a hyena. Penguins. And, oh, oh, yes, penguins. Yes, yes. And lots of elephants. You notice there's a lot of elephants in the show. And that's okay. That's my favorite animal. But, um, but a lot of really different and interesting stuff. A cougar, right? The mercury cougar that we talked about. Mm -hmm. He, he brought on so many. I mean, gosh, we're talking about 39 episodes. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why I asked, did they do more than one a day? Because Ralph is driving in with yeah. animals in a truck. Yeah. <laughs> Off in a uh, big trailer. Are, 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 we, yeah. are we sparing him extra trips? Or <laughs> if we are, what's this water buffalo doing while the cougar is on set <laughs> that someone has to be wrangling the different animals and his assistants ralph's assistants oh yeah My they goodness. were great they were great yeah the guys who handled the birds mm -hmm. and handled i mean we're talking big you know very dangerous birds yes. not to say that all the animals weren't dangerous they, they they all are but what i loved about ralph was that affection training that we he talks about mm -hmm. often through the show and that was actually something he coined and that was a um, process that he developed. And that's why those animals were so well-behaved, for lack of better phrases. Mm -hmm. But they, they were affection-trained. He used no whips, no intimidation, or withholding of food or anything like that. It was affection-training. And you don't hear the term affection-training anymore. Right. Which, on the one hand, you think, oh, is that not no longer a thing? It's not that so much as it's become ubiquitous. It's not a separate thing. It's not in contrast right. to now it's right. assumed that you treat the animals with respect. You don't scare right. them into behavior. You don't intimidate them. You don't threaten right. them. That's just a part of animal training now. So 
on the one hand, yeah. Ralph probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for pioneering that. But on the other hand, it's nice that it's not a thing. We don't have yeah. the opposite to compare it to. It doesn't have a contrasting approach. Yes. No, you're right. He pioneered it and maybe we've come a long way, which is great. And it's not a thing anymore. Like you said, I think that's so true. And gosh, what a great thing, right? Mm -hmm. you, you hope and you know, uh, under most circumstances that uh, these animals are being trained affectionately, thankfully. Yeah. When you're working in animal welfare, that's kind of the goal. Whatever it is, is your cause yeah. becomes unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that yeah. we no longer have yeah. to work against breed-specific legislation. We no longer have right. to have animal shelters. We no longer have to have all of these things in place to try to rescue and protect animals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, again, in one of the episodes, I believe it was the Doris Day episode, they spoke about the California condor, mm -hmm. which in the early 1970s, I think he said there were only like six left. I mean, six. But now, 50 years later, we do know that we've seen more of them and mm -hmm. they're coming back. And, and it's people like Betty and Cleveland Amory and so many of the other people she had on the show that helped, I think, promote that knowledge that we're running out of some of these animals and we need to do something. And some things were done. So it's really, really, it just had such an effect, I think. Uh, yeah, there's so much discussion about animal issues where it's easy to lose hope mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you don't see progress next week. Right. It's years. And to see the pets that talk about the condors and know 50 years later, they aren't the numbers they were in 1900, but they're right. way better than they were in 1970. You that we're moving bet. in the right direction. Your goal might not be reached in your lifetime, but mm -hmm. it's still worth shooting for that goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that gives probably Betty some comfort, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a part of her legacy for saving these animals and being such a voice and a caretaker that it worked mm -hmm. and God bless her for it. It worked. We, we owe her a debt of gratitude, and, uh, you bet. and the best way to show that is to keep working for the goals we have yet to achieve. Exactly. Well put, Philip. Yep. Thank you. For sure. Yeah, I agree. The show obviously seems dated when you look at the sets and the clothing, yes. but yes. the content, the discussions they're having about owning animals and being a responsible owner and training tips. Maybe there's some things that have evolved somewhat, but for the most part, this is a fun, informative, educational show that you could watch as a Betty White fan, but certainly you could watch with your kids or your grandkids. Get this box set and just bust it out every time the grandkids come over and get them off of their gaming platforms <laughs> and off TikTok. <laughs> so yeah, if they have to watch a screen, have them watch this screen and learn something. Yeah. And then you oh, can tell yeah. them, oh, you've never heard of Doris Day? Well, now we get to watch a couple of Doris Day movies. Right. You know, no, I think you nailed it for sure, Philip. That's true. And um, 
you know, what's interesting about the show is um, you were mentioning that it's dated and it really is. And I think, I think that's part of the charm of it, right? Mm -hmm. Retro's back. Look at all those TV stations that now cater to the retro content world. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that's part of the charm. You know, the big collars and the bell bottoms and the greens Mm -hmm. and yellows. I think it's wonderful. But but yeah, the datedness is not a, oh, how naive they were kind of datedness. It's it's just the the, the atmosphere, the look, the color choices, the color schemes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Very trendy at the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and some of uh, the attire, particularly that the women are wearing, you're thinking you knew there were going to be animals on set, right? Yes. <laughs> when yes. you chose that dress with, sure. the, with the things hanging <laughs> off of it, at the, the fringe and, and such. But That's right. it, it's such a fun show. Was it a live audience or is that a laugh track? Because they never show the audience, but you hear audience reaction. Absolutely. It was a live audience. They did the pilot, the first episode with Lauren Green, who, you know, she used to do those parades with, Mm -hmm. um, those televised parades. They were wonderful together. Lauren was the first guest. And it is my understanding that that pilot was done without a live audience. And maybe, I think, maybe one or two more shows after that. But... Absolutely. They started to add a live audience by, I believe, episode three, four, maybe. And to this day, there are, believe it or not, you can find tickets, audience tickets out there on eBay and things like that. Mm -hmm. They're floating around out there. They can be found. But yes, audiences were eventually allowed to come in. It was shot at the old Metro Media Studios, which has since been leveled and I believe is a high school now. It was a great old TV lot where a lot of television was done, including Maud and Jefferson's and, and some seasons of All in the Family, among others. But it was just a lot. Of, it was a Norman Lear lot, really, is how it was referred to back in the day. And they were on stage one, and it was a big stage that was uh, what they call audience rated. And I really think the audience brought a lot to it. There's a lot of funny moments, a lot of really heartwarming moments, and you can hear that reaction. Yeah. Well, you have animals and sometimes children, and you're bound to get those, those moments where the audience is going to be Yes. And it's adorable. You can hear kids. Delighted. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> you can hear kids yeah. in the audience, mm-hmm. and they're laughing and having a ball. It's great. Yeah. Well, it, it's easy to forget that 50 years ago, the cameras were huge yes. and expensive, Yes. And you take for granted audience shots now, but then we only have so many cameras and we want to capture everything the animals are doing. We can't just have a, right. a camera trained on the audience or spin it around to get an audience reaction shot because it's not a handheld camera. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. You know, it is interesting that they didn't at least turn around one of the cameras from time to time, mm-hmm. but they never did it. You know, I came into, it's a long story, but I came into more supplemental pieces of film and video from that show. Some of them labeled outtakes and things like that. I just got it and I cannot wait to view it to see if there's more stuff that reveals some of the um, the questions, you know, of, of how many were in the audience and things like that, that I would love to see and, and can't wait to view it. But um, I just came into those pieces. Her estate called me and said we came across a lot of Betty White's pet set stuff from files to more photos that have never been seen, more video. And as you can imagine, Philip, I can't wait to dive in. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see it if there's enough content that you can push it out, either you streaming bet. or as a, another DVD. 
on the yeah, box set, yeah. it has the weekly promos that they cut. Yes. Yes. That's which right. It, that's right. Maybe they didn't get them all in one take, but it sure seems like she's just cranking them out. And the way she <laughs> would just roll with whatever was happening. And there's sometimes where the guest you get a sense is like, oh, are we still, are we going with this? Are we rolling? Especially when it's a professional <laughs> actor who's thinking someone's going to say cut. But right, right. Betty just keeps it on track. I'm That's guessing it wasn't live to tape, that there had to be some editing just to tighten things yeah. up. But for to the most part, I think they just and, trusted her yeah. to be the, the ringleader. Well, absolutely. You know, she drove that. But, you know, what's interesting about it is this and what makes the show special, you know, not only for us as viewers, but for Betty herself is that it was a show that she made, created and produced. Alan Ludden, her husband, was the executive producer of the show and also the announcer of the Mm -hmm. show. Welcome to the bet, you know, to the bet set. That's Alan. As a matter of fact, Alan, I like to say that she waited to save, you know, the best for last. Alan is the star, the guest star of the very last episode, the episode 39. And uh, you can just see how well they work together, the love in their eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the couple you want to be. And, um, and uh, it was, it's my favorite episode, episode 39, the last episode uh, with Alan. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, as you're rolling through these and you think, boy, she just has a lot of chemistry with you name it, Carol Burnett, Mary Tyler Moore, Vincent Price, all the guests, just that chemistry. But then when it gets to Alan Ludden, you can tell this is Uh, the love of her life. Love of her life. Different energy altogether. Mm -hmm. Agreed 100%. The the twinkle in her eye, uh, the mischievous twinkle in her eye when he would say something that uh, occasionally there's some innuendo. (laughs) You got it. That's That slips through and, and just her look of, oh, I love you, Alan. Without saying oh, it, yes. it's just great. Yes. Well, something we really is. kind of just glossed over or blew past is you're working with Betty White on this television special, two half-hour episodes. Where does the pet set come into this? Did she bring it up, or how did you find out yeah. about the pet set and that these archives existed? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's a wonderful story. Again, being you know uh, a friend of Betty's agent and in the camp and all that, I got a call one day from Jeff, Betty's agent, who said, "Okay, here's another Betty project." I said, "Oh, great!" He said, "It's a little different." And I was not a television distributor at that time. I was a producer and a network exec. I created shows. I did not curate old shows. And suddenly, I found myself in a new business. And he said. Um, there is a show that Betty did 50 years ago, or at that time, close to 50 years ago, called The Pet Set that she did. And, I, and, and my, you know, my ears popped up and I said, oh, this sounds interesting. And he said, the problem is it's referred to often as the Lost Betty White series. Do you want to go find it? I was like, oh, Jeff, oh my, this is not my wheelhouse, but let's give it a shot. So I will tell you, and, uh, you know, my memory is not as great as it used to be, but when it comes to windows of time, but I will tell you, I spent the first six months looking for it. I called every studio in town, every network in town and played it off in a way that I, you know, I'm interested in licensing footage from this old show, the pet set that Betty did. I understand you own it. (laughs) And I got, uh, everybody replied back. Don't own it. Don't know the show. So that was part of my Indiana Jones expedition, if you yeah, will. I was, yeah, I was uh, thinking this is the Ark of the Covenant of, of this, TV yes. shows. 
because so many hands can touch a show where it's it's yes. shot one place, but somebody else owns the rights, and then that yes. company gets bought by another company, right. but then it sells off its television stuff and just keeps the movie stuff. So it's this labyrinthine maze of <laughs> that's right its journey, and who knows right. what's in what archive. Yes, that's right. That's right. And no, it's very interesting. So that was the like phase one, right? Of the investigation, mm-hmm. the discovery of who, um, you know, and where this, this material is. Now I had a little bit of information to go on. I knew it was produced by Al Betts, Betty and, um, and Alan's company. The problem is when you have any show, right? There are other companies that are involved always. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the only other company that I discovered was involved was Carnation. A lot of people, your listeners might know Carnation, Instant Breakfast, and other things. But what I learned is Carnation at the time also owned Friskies, the animal food line. And now, of course, Carnation has been bought by Nestle. So long story short, they don't own the show, but at the time, they helped finance the show. What I discovered through all my research is that Betty and Alan owned the show 100%. It was a syndicated show, so it aired in various channels across the U.S. in various markets. And that was music to my ears because a lot of the times, as you know, you have to follow the chain of title. And I like to say the chain of title was clear in that mm-hmm. Betty owned it. And that was great. That was music to my ears. So and that, is, that speaks to her savvy and, and Alan Ludden's savvy because yes. a lot of times yes. you have an idea for a show, you have to find someone who's going to help finance it and you give up rights to it. Just yes. like you know, a music group getting started doesn't own their own catalog because they sold the rights to it just so they could finance right. their first tour or their first album. But they were smart enough to know, if this is any good, we want to own it. We want to. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And they did, and it was wonderful. But that left me still in the position of, okay, I've discovered the chain of title, but where are the tapes, Philip? Where are the tapes? That was the hardest part. So I called around and Kirsten Nicholas, who was Betty's assistant, has been for many, many years, very wonderful person. I reached out to her and I said, look, you know, um, we're moving on this. What insight can you give me? And she said, look, there was a gentleman by the name of Jim Pearson, who's also a wonderful curator and producer in town, who had already approached her at one time and said, look, if you've got some of these shows, I'd like to you know, at least get them transferred and digitized and all that. Because he was doing an initiative at that time for a Doris Day special. And Doris Day, having done one of the episodes of the show, he wanted to use footage from it. So I had to hunt down this Jim character who has now become one of my dear friends and say, look, where are they? Where, where do you have them? And he said, look, you know, they're in this particular archive. This is the gentleman you need to speak to. So fast forwarding a little bit, I got the tapes out of that archive and um, they were in okay condition. They were in okay condition. They were, you know, like a Xerox copy when you do a copy of a copy of mm-hmm. a copy, you know, you'll see some episodes are a little bit, they're all totally acceptable, but you'll see some episodes are a little grainier than the others. But I at least had something to start with. So I went and got these tapes out of this particular archive. I pulled them. They were very gracious about it. And I started to do some 
quality control, some QC work on them. They were not in the greatest, but they were okay. What I learned as I was sort of sweating this out going, but I need multiple sources of shows because if there's a bad section in one part, I need to pick it up, you know, Cover with that, a different yeah. source. Yeah. So when you use Xerox, yeah. a Xerox of a Xerox, eventually some degradation yeah. is creeping into right. the copy you've ended up with. Yes. Which can yes. be even worse no, with video. Oh, definitely. Videotape compared to digital media. Yes. It, it just yes. the fact that it ages. Oh, well, it, it does. Yes. And I want to get to that because there's an interesting point about that. One of the interesting things is, is the tapes do age. They were good enough to work with. And I thought after digging and digging and making certain calls and seeing if there was just another backup set somewhere, I just kind of threw up my hands and thought, okay, I can still make the best of what I've got. I can do this. But lo and behold, going back to Kirsten, who was Betty's agent, I get a call out of the blue one day. And she says, you're never going to believe this. And I said, what? She said, I was just in Betty's pool house. And at the bottom of a closet, I found another whole complete set. I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I, you can imagine just the elation and just like the goosebumps I got, which I'm even getting right now. And I said, I'm on my way. I'll pick them up. This is great news. I got the tapes and discovered that they were several generations better, which was great. But the flip side of that is the tapes themselves were many, many, many years older. And it goes back mm. to something you were just saying, Philip, that there is a physical degradation that happens with these tapes. And this is where I called in my good friend Jim and another gentleman by the name of Graham, who are experts. And I said, I've got old tapes. I don't know how well these are going to hold up. What we learned, and I'll make it quick, is that when these tapes get old, you have to bake them. And I, I said, what? We have to bake them? So we baked them for a week and a half in 120 degrees. And what that does uh, for your listeners is, uh, for lack of better words, it makes the tape itself more malleable. They get rigid and they get, they get very, um, there's a thing called sticky shed syndrome, where the actual material of the tape, Philip, as you're running it through the machine, will peel off mm. as you're digitizing those tapes. And we baked them. And that helped, and we ventured on to the next step, which was digitizing them, right? I needed to get them into a digital form. Well, the baking, that's not something that intuitively, like if we were brainstorming, we've got these old tapes, what should we do? And somebody said, let's try baking. Well, let's (laughs) let's, let's call that plan B. Does anybody else have ideas? Uh, No, I think we should heat them up. I was scared. Because you worry about, you know, storing it in. Melting them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and heat. You, you know, yeah, don't yeah, store them next you, to the furnace. Don't store them next to the furnace. Don't keep them in your garage. Yeah, keep them, you yeah, know, all that thing. No sunlight. It sounded, yes. It sounded really, again, as a novice at the time, again, I was a producer. I didn't deal in old stuff. It sounded very counterintuitive to mm-hmm. me, to your point. Why would I put these tapes in excessive heat? Um, this is why, why you talk to an expert. Right. You talk to an expert. So we baked them. We started digitizing the tapes, and, and Graham is a wonderful guy who works specifically in old media. He was digitizing them for me, but he was also doing what we call upconvert. Now, these, of course, are not HD tapes, but we decided to upconvert them to a very, very high HD quality because anytime, you, again, you make a copy of anything or you pull you know, information off of the tape, 
you're going to lose a bit of a generation. Mm -hmm. So we did it in the highest conversion possible, which made the files themselves huge. But it was funny. He was like, you know, even though we bake these tapes, you're probably going to get one shot at these. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, I'm digitizing them now. And material is still coming off the tapes. He had to clean the heads of the tape deck every time we put in a new tape, because there was literally physical matter from the tapes gunking up the machine. And I was like, Oh my gosh, we did go back and baked again for another week, several of the tapes that were the most problematic, but you know, long story short, we were able to digitize both sets of tapes that remember there was that other set Mm -hmm. and this set. And I had two sources to work from. I was just thanks. So thankful. So grateful because what he did next is he basically gave me all the files all the tapes back. Some of them are completely destroyed. He was right. We got one shot at it. Mm-hmm. There are no more tapes that exist, but we have it digitally, which is nice. So I did the next phase of work, which was okay in the computer, in my editing system going through, because even though we baked them and we took every precaution and cleaned them, there was instances of hits, right? Video hits, blah, blah, blah. You still see some, mm-hmm. but I went through frame by frame mind you. Now there's 29 frames per second. And if you can imagine that almost every other frame had a hit, you can do the math with 39 half hour episodes. Long story short, it was over a year's worth of work of me fixing and restoring each episode to as close to its original quality as possible. And I'm really, really proud of that because I've always known editing systems as a producer, but going frame by frame and patching, doing patchwork, that's pretty seamless. You can't see the patches. Yeah, well, um, that was striking when I watched it because the fact that I hadn't heard of this and that it was newly released because what is copyright uh, 21 on the, the re-release, the box set. Yeah. And yeah. usually some sort of found footage video that's 50 years old or more <laughs> looks awful. Yes, right. And this doesn't look like it was shot yesterday. What it does look like is a modern movie that is showing a scene on TV from 1971. Right. Yes. No, and that's a It looks like you expect something to have looked in 1971. Right. Yes. No, I, I agree. And thank you for saying that because, you know, you get so close to a project that it becomes such an intimate thing when you spend day and night doing it that you often critique yourself. And I, and, and there are moments where I was like, this could be better, but we really went to the extreme in the sense that we, we decided we were going to spend the time and I did all of that work myself, you know, fixing those patches and those problem areas. It's not to say that Graham, when he digitized it, didn't also do a, a layer of work. He ran it through what's called a Terranex, which did all this wonderful color work and brought out, you know, just made it more vibrant. So again, thank you for the compliment. There was a lot of work and a lot of people that had their hands in making this better. Yeah, I don't and, think viewers uh, should take working. for granted that the fact that this stuff has been sitting on a shelf for almost 50 years. This wasn't <laughs> something that was shot in 71 and then went into syndication in 74, and so then it got upgraded to the new technology every four or five years right. and it keeps rolling through syndication and got digitized when that came in. The fact that this sat on a shelf and you guys were able to salvage what you did is... A story yeah. in itself. That's amazing. <laughs> it sat on a shelf, but the other set sat at the bottom of Betty's closet at her home. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. wonderful is that? <laughs> yeah, this wasn't sitting in um, 
like a limestone cave controlled climate storage facility. Correct. It was Betty White's basement. One of the things I'll just say, uh, and we don't want to keep boring your listeners with the uh, construction of videotape, but again, having worked from two sets, there were sections of each set where there were parts that were just completely, you know, blacked out. They were missing or had glitches that were so bad they were unfixable. And so I got really lucky, Philip, in the sense that when I was working from two sets, if one tape had a really bad section, I got so lucky because I went to set number one or the other set and went back and lo and behold, it was pristine on that set. I mean, so all this to say that when you watch the show, if you've got a really keen eye, you can see the quality will shift a little bit from cut to cut. And that is because I'm switching back and forth from two different sources, let alone just fixing the, you know, the little glitches that were happening everywhere. But there were whole chunks that I would go, that's got to come from this set. And this chunk has got to come from this set. So I like to say I Frankensteined the episodes together. I li- they're Frankensteined episodes. The video from Helfer's Ranch does look older. It is. Well, you know, what's interesting about it, it's not so much that it's older. It, it was shot at the same time. The video from Ralph Helfer's Ranch is actually film. It's 16 millimeters. That's film. what I was guessing. Yes, that was then converted and ingested as a video piece, but it mm-hmm. looks very filmy, mm-hmm. very grainy. I think that's part of the charm of it. It's got all those little hairs and pops and, you know, that film has in those days. And, uh, you know, they were shooting them with little just over-the-shoulder 16-millimeter cameras. I have the original prints. I'd like to see if I can get them cleaned up and um, that have since come to me after the fact that I think might even be better quality. But um, but it does. It adds the charm and, and, and looks totally different. I love that it's a show that's in front of a live audience, multicam, that's video with film components. It's just a really beautiful mix of medias, if you will, of media. They thought this through because the show yes. doesn't really evolve over 39 episodes like shows typically do even if they have a short run you can see it finds its voice or its style over the first three or four episodes or this kind of segment doesn't work so we're going to jettison that they hit the ground (laughs) running they figured out what they were going to do with that lauren green episode and stuck with it because it worked you bet. They stayed true to that format and they never went off track. They really didn't. And it was smart planning on behalf of the two producers, Betty and Alan, and all the other people that were involved. When you see the end credits, there was a lot of wonderful craftspeople involved and they never veered off track. It was really amazing. It's interesting that you pointed that out. Yeah, you're right. It, they stayed true. In the box set, it has several extra features that are fascinating, but in particular, the history of Betty White. And before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that every generation seems to discover Betty White. And then as you learn more about her, you find out, oh, she's been around more than the last 10 minutes (laughs) and isn't just popular because she was the last, you know, person standing of her generation. It's because she was a remarkable talent of every era of television. You bet. From the beginning of television, basically, 
there was Betty White. So by the time we get to 1971, she isn't just some actress who happens to be married to a producer, so we get to throw together a syndicated show. She had chops. That's right. Oh, yes. And, you know, was one of the first women to produce her own show, star in it, produce it. I mean, she is truly a pioneer, Mm -hmm. no doubt about it. I mean, if you start back to her early 1950s show, which we were talking about a little bit earlier, which was a live show locally here in Los Angeles. And it was a four-hour block, I believe six days a week. And she had improvisational skills like no one else I've ever seen. She's funny on the fly. She can get conversation going. This is before teleprompters. And she, I mean, talk about a grind. She did it four hours a day. And it was a huge show. And then, of course, she went on to things like Life with Elizabeth and Date with the Angels, both of which, you know, she was very much involved with as a producer, but also the star of the show. Um, So she really pioneered television for sure. I mean, really was the first to do both roles like that. If someone can be a Hall of Famer who's underrated, it's Betty White. Right. right, It's hard to believe that she could be underrated and so popular. At the same but, time, yeah, that's right. I, I don't think she gets near the credit she deserves. Absolutely agree with you. Underrated in the sense that I don't think too many people know her entire history because it is such a large history. Thank God, right? What a legacy. It's such a large history that people don't, yes, they enjoy the shows. Some of, you know, there's still prints out there of the 50s shows and people enjoy them and I think it's wonderful but they don't really know unless you read her books or heard some of her interviews to what level she was involved in those shows she didn't just show up and memorize lines it was much 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 bigger than that for Betty and I and and that's one of the things I adore it's kind of like Babe Ruth you know he's in the hall of fame and he was the home run king it's like yeah but he was also one of the best pitchers of his generation yes before he was the home run king Right. So, yeah, before all the stuff that is sort of what I would call the eulogy material that leads in that first paragraph about somebody, in addition to that, there is so much more about Betty White that you can't fit into that opening paragraph. Oh, my gosh, yes. And and believe me, I've tried, you know, as a writer, producer myself. I've written various bios on her based on certain needs and and promotional purposes, not only for this show, but for other initiatives. And how do you write a two or three page biography without it turning into a 50 page biography? Mm -hmm. There's so much to Betty. So much. Yeah. Yeah, A word count is not fair. (laughs) Yes, exactly. No, that's right. And, you know, and it was fun and I love doing all of it, but it's, it's, um, it is hard to write about her because there's so much there. And what I find interesting is just um, the different chapters of her life and, and getting so many chapters through each decade. We were never done with Betty, thankfully, and we always welcomed her into our homes. I mean, how lucky were we that we were alive at the same time as Betty White when you look at the universe, right? And what entertainer there's only a handful of entertainers who wouldn't give anything to have had one of her careers yes, let alone the right. half dozen that she was able to have yes and, yes and certainly one has to be fortunate to get the opportunities but lots of people get opportunities that they aren't able to capitalize on she Correct. had the talent and the drive to make the most of 
it appears, every opportunity she had, but also humility and generosity to give back. Her love of pets in general, animals in general, and dogs in particular is legendary. And what she did, not only with the pet set and bringing attention to proper animal care and learning more about dogs, just her whole life spent doing whatever she could to make this world better for animals. Oh, no doubt. You know, there's an interesting phrase that she used to say, and that was that, and it kind of goes back to her career as an actress and producer and, and also her time with animals. And that is that she would say, well, I'm in the entertainment business so that I can afford to be in the animal business, Mm -hmm. meaning support her animal habit, if you will. And I always loved that because I'm sure it's pretty obvious to the world that she's given so much to animals, not only uh, her time, but also uh, through donations and, and, and financially. So it literally was such a big part of her life, the animals, to the degree that she often turned down roles where if she felt like in the script, a certain animal isn't being treated the way that she would like it to be treated, whether it was for comedic purposes or not, if she didn't like the way an animal was portrayed in the script, she would turn it down. She often incorporated animals. I mean, if you're a golden girls fan and who isn't, you know, there's a lot of animal episodes and that's Betty. If you look at her old life with Elizabeth, there's a lot of animal episodes and that's Betty, right? So she incorporated animals in a way that no other, I believe, no other actress has ever done and made it part of the show. And it's just beautiful. And, and so many shows, she did that. So it's really, really quite quite amazing. Yeah, a lot of celebrities lend their name, and she recognized the power of that and would lend her name whenever she could, but backed it up with giving and doing and yeah. showing up beyond just letting her name be used. Well, that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. She really showed up. That's the right phrase to use. She showed up. She was a part of so many wonderful charities, actors and others for animals for one, and just so many others that she talks about in her amazing books. But um, she really showed up. You're right. And it was not a hobby. It was not a side thing. It was her life. And anybody that knows her will tell you the same. It was her life for sure. On the outside, it certainly appeared that she loved all of her work, the charity work, the film, the television. You have to think that's part of the secret to her longevity. When Betty and I were traveling all over California doing this show, Betty White's Smartest Animals in America, she really loves to work like we were talking about before. And we were at lunch at one particular place and she said to me, she said, well, you know, I'd like to die working. And it's funny because this particular day, She was in her 90s. Um, This particular day was a very, very hard day from a production standpoint. And I just turned to her and I said, well, today you just might get your wish. (laughs) Her laugh was so genuine and so hearty. And it just warmed my heart because I can still remember it like it was yesterday. And, And just, I mean, going back to her sense of humor, her work ethic, she wanted to keep working, always kept working. And that confirmed it for me. You know, it was just such a, such a wonderful thing to say. And it goes back to, right? Like it just goes to all these chapters of her career and her life that have just um, been longer than any other performer. And just what an amazing thing to have that. What an amazing thing. On Dog Words, I 
frequently encourage people to do what they can for helping whatever cause is important to them, even if it has nothing to do with animals, but just doing what you can with what you have. Betty White was able to do a lot, was able to give a lot because she had a lot. But the lesson from that isn't, well, then you need to be Betty White and dedicate your life to whatever cause is important. Just do what you can, whether it's a small donation once in a while or occasionally showing up, being a volunteer somewhere with animal shelters. I know not everyone has the temperament or disposition to be around animals that have suffered, which many of the animals that come into a shelter, it just breaks your heart. And if that is going to make it impossible for you to continue to volunteer, well, don't be that person. Be the person who raises money or answers phones or helps with accounting or mows the lawn. You bet. There's there's all kinds That's of things right. you can do. And maybe it's just bring awareness. And that is sharing dog words, letting people know that you listen to dog words and that they might enjoy it too. But also getting your copy of the pet set. I'm going to link in the description to the pet set on Amazon Smile. So anyone who wants to order it, if you have a charity that benefits from Amazon Smile, that's a way to help that charity. If you don't have a charity, sign up for Amazon Smile and choose Rosie Fund as your charity. And this does not impact the cost of anything you buy, but Amazon gives a portion of all eligible purchases, which is most of your purchases, to the charity of your choice. And Rosie Fund benefits greatly from that. Are there any... uh, causes that are important to you, Darren? Yeah. You know, since I've been in the Betty camp and I've always been an animal lover and and that was such a strong and important connection that I had with Betty in the time that I got to be with her. But I learned about some causes and charities myself. I recently did some work with the Doris Day Animal Foundation. And as you know, Betty and Doris were wonderful friends, both had a love of animals, which you'll see on the pet set. But I've been very blessed to work with them and help where I can. I, being a producer, right, there was a DVD that came out celebrating Doris and the foundation, and I got to help produce that. I got to edit and do all kinds of wonderful things and find footage and put it all together, and what an honor and what a blessing to be able to do that. So I'm a big fan of the uh, Doris Day Animal Foundation. I'm a big fan of Actors and Others for Animals. I was greatly blessed to work with Peter Marshall, who was a guest on the pet set as well. He was from Hollywood Squares. And he's He's, still uh, with us. And he is still with us, you bet. And he's a wonderful human being. He is in the DVD extras that you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. He's in there as well in one of the the little vignettes, the little specials. We shot that about a year or two ago. And and so he's very active in various animal foundations. And, And I started just get involved in all these ones that Peter's involved in and Betty was involved in and Doris was involved in. And that came through, again, my friend Jim that I spoke about earlier who helped me find these darn tapes. We became fast friends and he's a curator and producer himself and he is an animal lover and animal advocate as well. And so it comes full circle with this new little group that I've been allowed to be a part of. And they're just all animal lovers and they give, give, give. And I give where I can too. So those three right there are very important. Very, very important. That's something else that has come up a lot on dog words. It's so important to find something that you love, that is your passion, so that when you're doing the work, 
it doesn't feel like work. And I know I'm not saying anything particularly profound here. Who's going to argue with that? But if you can connect that to your cause, your charity, what is important to you, it's a lot easier, which is why I love doing dog words. I love working on media. I love meeting new people and doing these interviews and learning new things. And then it also helps dogs. You bet. So if you can tie that all together, it just makes life so much more uh, rewarding, enriching, fulfilling. So find what you love and then uh, weave that together with helping the world become a better place. Yes, absolutely. That's that's all I'm asking people to do is make the world a better place. Is that too much to ask? Not at all. I'm 100% on board with that. And you know what? Our four-legged furry friends, heck, they don't even have to be furry, but our four-legged friends Mm -hmm. are so important. There's an ecological system thing going on that, you know, it's talked about in the pet set, among other things, that we need to keep these animals alive and thriving. And, you know, she had all kinds of celebrity television and film guests, and she had some other guests, too, that in their own right were very famous. You know, she had a gentleman on by the name of Cleveland Amory, who you, of course, know Mm -hmm. as a writer, television critic, animal advocate. And he said something that just, it really sticks with me and just gives me goosebumps. And uh, every time I think about it, and he said this, the world has enough human beings. What the world really needs is more humane beings. And I got to tell you, every time I, I just say those words, I, I get choked up. And, uh, and as I like to say, that's the show. That's the pet mm-hmm. set, humanity. And he sums it up so beautifully. Yeah, there's lots of great content like that throughout each episode. Yeah, definitely so. Definitely so. I think that's the message, right? That is what the world needs. Absolutely. Well, I am so grateful that you did the hard work of tracking down this wonderful footage and then packaging it in a way to make it accessible for viewers to continue to celebrate the life of Betty White. And I want to make sure people understand this isn't just a novelty that we happen to find something about Betty White that was lost footage. Check it out. It's good viewing. It is. And then the extras that are in it that are uh, biographical, and you'll learn not only a little bit more about Betty White, but also just the evolution of television get your hands on this order it from amazon or wherever you can get your hands on it and again it's something that the whole family can enjoy it's just a treat and we're so fortunate that there's people like you darren who are finding this and sharing it oh well thank you no it's been my honor to do it i'll just say that 2021 was the 50th anniversary of the show and that was one of the things i was racing to get the show out before that milestone. And um, I am pleased to say got done right in time for the 50th anniversary. But more important to me was that I got it to Betty and she got to watch the whole thing again. She hadn't seen it for 50 years and she got to watch the whole thing again before she passed. And I got to tell you, nothing can beat that. Nothing. Of all the many highlights that I'm sure she's had throughout her life, that had to be toward the top of the list to be able to revisit that and to know that this was salvaged and will live on because that's a great legacy to have. She has so many wonderful legacies, but certainly that's a special one 
to know that those moments that you shared with your special friends are going to be shared by countless others going forward. Yes. Yes. And I know she enjoyed it. All those animals, all those friends, many who, who left this earth before she did. So, you know, again, like I said, it just to be able to be a part of that is also the highlight of my career. I often say working with her on the other show that we shot together was the highlight but this one is also a highlight. And both of the highlights of my career involve Betty White. I mean, how lucky am I, right? Yes. Betty White and animals. Both of them were Betty White and animals. I mean, what a lucky guy I am. I, 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 I'm just blessed. I'm glad you're not taking that for granted. And I'm certainly not taking for granted how generous you have been with your time. Thank you for sharing the story of the pet set. And there will be links in the description for the pet set and episodes of dog words that I referenced earlier and other things related to what Darren has shared with us today. Darren, thank you so much. And certainly if you have anything else in the footage that you find, let me know because I'd love to have you back on. So if there's certainly, if if it's going to be distributed, come on and tell us how people can get their hands on the new footage that you found. But even if it isn't distributed and there's just some great insight and stories that you can share about that, I would love to pass that on to listeners to Dog Words. Oh, you bet. I would be delighted to do that, Philip. And and again, please, if your listeners could go to our social media, both on Instagram and Facebook, Betty White's Pet Set. Again, that's Betty White's Pet Set. I think you're going to see a lot of wonderful stuff there as well. Never before seen video photos. I have lots of Betty White photo albums that uh, uh, I'm grateful that came my way and I post all kinds of wonderful stuff. It's all Betty White animal related and it's uh, approved by the Betty White estate, which is wonderful. So it's, it's the real deal. You're getting a lot of information and it's a lot of fun. And I, I would love to come back, Philip. So thank you so much for that invitation. It's a standing invitation. Those links are going to be in the description. And I can't wait to talk to you again, Darren. Thanks for being on Dog Words. You bet. Thank you as well. My pleasure. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to Darren Wadico for a delightful interview. All of the promised links are in the episode description. Next time on Dog Words, we return to the Iditarod with rookie volunteer veterinarian and friend of Peaches, Dr. Molly Ebinger. A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Supporting The Wires supports our mission. Learn more about The Wires, including their concert schedule at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Join Laurel and Sasha as they explore new music and delve into the inspiration behind each work as hosts of Sound Currents on 91.9 Classical KC. Click on the Sound Currents link in the description for more information. Go to rosyfun.org to shop and get links to our social media. As always, please download, follow, rate, and share dog words. This helps with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send your comments, questions, and suggestions via the contact form at rosyfund.org and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor or a guest of the Dogwoods podcast. 
Thank you for listening to Dog Words. And remember, we save each other. Love you, peaches.